Welcome to your Making It Worse. We're here, we're queer, who cares? I'm Elliot Glazer. And I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. Textual healing. So let's talk about this gaze over COVID civil war. Um, mm. So there was an so article recently. It reached so many peak. people have messaged us about this. Literally, it's like it's like one of those moments where, like with Elliot and I with the Golden Girls, when someone messages you something about the Golden Girls, you're like, yeah, I know it. Like you I think know it's Betty White's birthday. I get it. It's right? kind of like that with gaze over COVID. It's like, yeah, you're the fortieth yeah. person to share yeah. this one. <laughs> By the way, maybe you guys should have thought of that before you got tattoos of like on your like on your on your pussies and like showed it to the whole world. But okay. Um, so anyway, I read an article about this. This article raises some interesting questions about public shaming of those mm-hmm. who were flouting, you know, medical health measures designed to combat COVID. A little background, as we've discussed in the podcast, gays over COVID features mostly super hot guys living their best life during despite the pandemic that we find ourselves in. Uh, I did have a my friend Monica told me she's like uh, I was I was telling her about this Instagram site she goes oh I already found it and when I looked at every picture you know how Instagram shows you like someone you know that's liked every she's like Elliot had liked every single one of them so that's a good way to summarize this Instagram page I I just can't believe it's you know just sorry just to backpack off of that they they there's a lot of like it all sort of reached a, a, a peak around the holidays when all these gay guys were in Puerto Vallarta and Rio mm-hmm. and right. taking these pictures so um, callously and nonchalantly yeah. doubling down. So anyway, that's why it's important. You know, well, and also juxtaposing it. that with like, you know, them coming from Los Angeles where numbers are insane right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also the famous picture of the, the, the thoughty doctor or the thoughty nurse getting the shot, you know, with his like, some of his nipples showing or so I forget right. how oh it was God. set up, but then the picture of him in Puerto Vallarta as well. So it was like, there were all those images that just were almost too easy not to call out. Yeah. So, but I guess that just kind of hard. So it begs the, all right, wait, so where am I in my, in my notes? <laughs> After the so, Monica story. Yeah. So what's the purpose of these feeds? At, at the end of the day, public shaming doesn't really work. Just watch an episode of to catch a predator to know that. Uh, and it's also, I guess, so I, I guess, yeah, so that's the, I'm, the first question would be, why do this if it if it doesn't work? And I also feel like we're doing it with a very specific group, which is to say we're doing it with really hot guys. And because yeah. I went home, I quarantined for five days, but I went home to Michigan and you could certainly, mm-hmm. you know, I was supposed to sit at home for 14 days when I got back, but I went to Ralph's, you know, I ran some stairs, which I've been doing recently. I've been running stairs. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, am I a monster? Yes, um, yes, you are. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but what do you guys think? <clears throat> I mean, I think the, look, I think, you know, ultimately, I think it's a good thing to, you know, have the conversation. I think, I personally think it's a sort of a moment of reckoning because it puts, it brings into light <clears throat> the sort of poor behavior or the, the lack of consideration, a selfishness, a selfishness in behavior among um, gay guys that we, the rest of us, I think, find frustrating. <clears throat> but, and so it's, it's, there's an eagerness to like point that out, call it out, especially because it is so irresponsible in that it actually it impacts everyone else around them, wherever mm-hmm. they travel, wherever they go. And there's a hypocrisy there. But at the same time, 
because there's been all these sort of copycat accounts that have also started doing what Gays Over COVID did, it feels almost like a like it's for blood sport, and that mm-hmm. feels Brent's, punitive at this point. Yeah, yeah. it feels like to, like to Brent's point, it's like it feels almost like they that people want to punish um, gay guys for doing that, having their circuit party lifestyle in general. And while I understand that personally, because I just, it, it just kind of makes me like roll my eyes. Like, I just don't get it. It's just basic. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. it, be, but that's at that point, I'm like, I don't, you know, I want to, I, I think it's important to, you know, point out when somebody does something that's grossly negligent, yeah. you know, ne- negligible. What's the word? Negligent. Yeah. yeah. Regarding other people's health in which, and that's what they're doing. That's the scary part of it. But when it becomes just about being like, well, fuck you for going to, fuck you for like being a circuit party queen. Yeah. And at a certain point, I'm like, well, just like, that's well, what it's kind do of anyway. It's kind of like when we even started the podcast, I remember us having a conversation about like, you know, there is a level of like public shaming and shaming involved. There is a holier than thou thing that queer people, gay men specifically have. I think a lot of toxic masculinity plays into it where we think we're right. And whatever position we take from the angle of the community we exist in, we must be right on that angle. And so of course you're wrong, I'm right. And that that trope is very sort of like prevalent, I think within gay male, queer male yeah. spaces. And so that said, like there is that sort of line between are you shaming or are you actually calling out something that is very dangerous in the community, similar to what possibly Larry Kramer did in the eighties when right. he was caught, like when gay men were very angry about the shutting down of, of bathhouses and, and queer spaces and when public health officials shut them down for the safety of the community. Sure. There's a legitimate argument there that you could talk about, you know, whether they should have been shut down or not, but regardless, Larry Kramer was out there being like, wake the fuck up. We have a problem. Please wake up. And I think the root of, I think, yes, it did go in the direction of some shaming and some people were justifiably shamed for just taking a vacation, which I don't think was necessarily warranted. However, there is a difference between going to a place that is a very, that also is suffering from their own COVID problem, you know, in, in Mexico and Brazil, et cetera, numbers are not great there either. And then, coming back to the United States, wherever they're from, oftentimes because of we're, you know, queer people, they're coming to populated areas that are having their own massive problems with COVID. And then they're going back into front facing public jobs like nursing, like, like dealing with people on the front lines and not necessarily quarantine. We don't know if they all didn't quarantine when they got back. Many of them probably did. That's right. But the optics of it is not good and it makes then the community at large look bad. And so I respect the Larry Kramers of the community of modern day getting out there and legitimately pointing out some of the problems that, that are out there. Mm-hmm. But we also sometimes need to step back and be, and ask ourselves, is my outrage here based in shame or is it based in legitimate, like there's a, there's a social problem happening yeah, and, here. And regarding Brent, like, so you went home to Michigan to be with your family during the holidays. You'd waited all year to finally see them. You took you personally took responsible steps in, you know, flying as safely as you could. Agreed upon steps with your family. Agreed upon you quarantine when you get there and you were with them and like you all followed procedure and were careful. And so I don't think they took a risk as well. They agree. I mean, just to just to just to add on to what you're saying, I think it is important to note that like in terms of when people are going and meeting people, 
it has to be an open dialogue of communication, right. of agreement that everyone is agreeing to these steps of what you're doing. And Brent's actions were not solo actions. They were all the family was on board for this right. and they even took the risk themselves because they thought it was worth it. And that yeah. I you shouldn't be shamed for that. Right. I, I felt like, you know, I spent five days in a hotel. I got a negative test. I went home and I told my family, like, you know, w there's obviously a scenario in which I could have gotten it on the flight. And not only did, could I have gotten it then, it's one of these where it didn't show up on a test after five days. It shows up seven or eight days later. So, and then we'll all get it. So, but it was something that we felt like the odds of that happening at the time seemed quite, quite slim. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously it didn't happen. And, and we also felt comfortable with that risk. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, I live in, you guys know this, I live downtown Los Angeles. Los Angeles has had about 13 to 15,000 cases every single day, LA County, 13 to 15,000 cases every single day for the last month, five weeks. And I still regularly see people without wearing, who aren't wearing their masks yeah. in, you know, pretty well. I mean, granted, outside is a little different than indoors. I've seen people not wearing their masks indoors. They have to be told to wear their masks. I see it in indoors. my building all the time. People in yep. like the elevators today. It blows me away. Blows me yep. away. Michael yep. the other day said that he encountered someone coming down on the elevator and that he was waiting for the elevator and they didn't have their mask on. And he was just like, you go, you go. And the guy yeah. was like surprised by it. And it's like, dude, you're not wearing a mask. There was a lady in the elevator with me the other day and she's, she was chatting with me about where to get a key made. I'm like, I don't know, bitch. And, but like, but she started taking her mask off and I, I, I you know, it's a, it's a five, I'm, I'm on the fifth floor. So it's not a crazy intense, but I'm like, lady, don't take your mask off just to talk to me. I can fucking hear you. I don't need to, I don't need to watch you. I don't need yeah. to watch your mouth while you're talking to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is obviously not a queer thing, but Bow Wow, the, the rapper, Right. had a had a concert in like i think houston yeah. and the video surfaced and it's like he's at a concert and by the way we all know that singing and 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 rapping performing is like as is worse than talking in terms of the, the, yeah. the particles but uh he it's like the house is packed nobody's mm. wearing a mask and you have to look at it and ask yourself like i don't understand why you would put your like forget i know you're not gonna, you people are not going to care about anybody else but to even put yourself at risk it boggles the mind yeah and and i will say like in terms of you know gays over covid when they catch these forget about just the people when they when they post pictures of you know vanjie and shangela and like some of the drag queens from drag race at these big you know packed parties in puerto vallarta i'm like are you are you guys crazy? Like you all might be crazy because you're all risking your health. I, I j I'll never well, get it. See, and the it, thing is, is like yeah. I I don't want to pass judgment on someone making decisions for their own health and their own because that's that that is what it is. That's not I'm not here to tell to to tell you how to live a healthy lifestyle. That's not right. my goal. My goal is to say you are becoming a public health risk by coming back to Los Angeles not quarantine for two weeks and then going into a public service job like a nurse or, yeah. or a front facing public position. And, and you're doing it undercover. That's the real problem. Their health, I don't give a fuck about their health, sorry. I give, a, I give a fuck about my health and my community's health and putting us at risk, you but know? You also, you can see how much this has affected people and how people, some people have changed their behavior significantly. Like for instance, <laughs> now whenever Elliot, whenever Elliot blows a guy, he uses a dental dam. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's only COVID. Yeah. That's oh my God, wild. we're not ending on, we cannot <laughs> No, end we are ending on that, on that. Alan. <laughs> Alan, we're ending on that.
not even joking. We are here with the Tony nominated star of stage and screen. <laughs> Gideon, Gideon Glick. Hi, Gideon. Hello. Hi, hi, gentlemen. Isn't it yeah. weird when you can say that your friend is a Tony not like it's weird to have anything nominated of a major award that you watch as a child with someone you know personally? Yeah, it's you hi. and uh, Rosie O'Donnell, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My only no, friends nominated for was she nominated for a Tony or did she just win an honorary one she just won an honorary one I also feel like she was on the, she like hosted the Tony yeah she just hosted oh, them yeah, she didn't win right, anything I'm just basically right. the same you're the my yeah. only friend who was nominated for a Tony I'll, I'll admit it I, it's an honor to be on the receiving end of course I, yeah. I, I'll say. Yeah. now you were nominated yeah. for how to uh, oh my god to kill a mockingbird how to kill a mockingbird <laughs> without even trying <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. To Elliot meant to say To Kill a Mockingbird, the new Broadway adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird directed by Were you gonna say were you gonna say how to get away with murder or have a succeeding business without even trying? I really was just gonna say how to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. No, but and Aaron Sorkin did it, right? Like Aaron Sorkin he, did he direct it or he wrote it he wrote and it. Bart Shear directed it. So when was that? Because that was uh, was that before the last <laughs> gasp of COVID? Um, it's really, I mean, time is so fucked right now. It's hard. Um, it was the 2018, 2019 season. Oh. And mm. so I ended that in November. Uh, and then I, and then COVID happened in March. Oh, wow. So, oh, oh okay. I, right, right. So, but, right. The, and remind me, cause I didn't, did the Tonys happen? Our Tonys happened, and right now, I mean, the Mockingbird Tonys happened. Yeah. Right now, the Tonys are um, uh, really gestating. I mean, they they announced the nominations like half a year ago. Yeah. Oh. I don't. I, for I don't for a lot it, of Zoom one-person shows, is that who got nominated this <laughs> yeah. year? Uh, I mean, it was because well, it was a, was a very truncated season, and so, but I don't think it's going to happen on probably until June, like the actual oh, wow. 20th. And isn't there oh. one category where one person is nominated, like in an acting category yes, or something? Yes, Aaron Tveit is nominated for Best Actor against himself. That's oh, okay. insane. For, for That's Moulin Rouge. Win-win right there. For Moulin, Moulin Rouge. Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> wow. M wait, Moulin Rouge, I know... I watched the movie in high school and I have never in my life hated a movie more than that movie. Really? So Brent, I had Moulin Rouge posters uh, plastered across my, uh, my room. You were me. So we are, we are well, I, totally I, opposite. I, I apologize. I don't mean to offend your sensibilities, but I, I don't I take just, it personally. What did you hate <laughs> about that film, Brent? I just remember it being like a blur of like nonsense. Um, and I've truly <laughs> tuned out after like 30 minutes. Oh, Was no. it too much editing? Like, was it, did it just go too fast? Yeah, I mean, I remember it went too fast and I couldn't like follow like what was going on. And then like Nicole Kidman got nominated for an Oscar. And even in the clip they showed, the poor woman, they showed such a silly, goofy clip from that movie that everyone laughed. <laughs> I mean, is it a comedy? Wait, it was, kind was, of it, is. was it when she was like trying to um, seduce the Duke? Maybe, that yeah, maybe that's it. So maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe it could have been a funny, I, I, 
Let me be a little more deferential to to, to, <laughs> to the great and to the great Nicole <laughs> Well, I will say in 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 sort of Brent's defense, his um the most recent musical act that he actually loves and admires is Peter Paul and Mary. So, well, they, dare I suggest his, his they are legendary in, in in music? Um, is probably maybe not for well, I, Mulan. I Rouge. will happily back up Brent and say I don't hate, I don't hate it. I just don't get it. I've never. What's not to get the appeal of it? Doesn't it just doesn't? I don't know. I'm not. I don't find it necessarily appealing because to me, it all seems to blur into like when people buy that that iconic painting where the lady, the French lady, is like looking in the mirror. You know, like she's like looking at herself in the mirror, and it's like French, and like the absinthe poster. I guess so. I like it's like they sell them everywhere, and they. Okay, and we have to. I'm just saying, Moulin Rouge to me is like it's French, it's fancy, and I'm like I don't care. <laughs> no, we have to defend this film. Gideon, what did you love about Moulin Rouge then? I mean, well, first of all, I, I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I but watched I it last say, week. Does, well, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, but does it hold up? Tell me now. It does hold, there, there are parts of it that don't hold up, but it does hold up in the sense of this sort of whimsical direction that like film was going in at that time. And it just sort of went in this and, and, and Baz Luhrmann who had been doing some really whimsical, crazy shit like Romeo and Juliet before that, it was like, what the fuck is going on? And it, 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 it holds up for just sort of being a weird ride of the early aughts. Yeah. It's like a fever dream. I also like, yeah. I, as somebody, I'm such a, especially back then. I know I still am Nicole. Like for me, like I had, her in my room, my brother had her like Batman Forever poster in his room. Yeah. We both like we both met each other in our aesthetics <laughs> to die for. Like Oh my god, HD, to die for. It matters so much to me and, and maybe my family. Um yeah. that and and then movie musicals, like yes. they also there weren't movie musicals back mm -hmm. then or, or good ones, if any. Because it was back to back. It was Chicago and Moulin Rouge, right yeah. back to back, same two years. Like it was. And insane. I would say I haven't seen Chicago in a long time, but I remember that being actually very good. That held up as well. I watched that okay. the other week too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. What the main song from Chicago? What is it? How does it go again? Chicago, Chicago. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love think Peter that. Paul, song. Peter Paul and Mary did a great. Yeah, cover they do a great yeah. cover yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> I love. Um, I love about. Um, you getting is that you have allowed me in the course of our friendship to like simultaneously <laughs> enjoy certain parts of the theater and despise so much. <laughs> and I wonder. Well, I mean, yeah. What do you wonder? I wonder what your thoughts on are on the sh what your thoughts are on the Broadway musical, the hit phenomenon. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Come from away. Um, no, you can't do that to me. You absolutely <laughs> cannot do that to me. We have to respect our community. Oh, uh, do I? Do I have to respect it, or do I? I I have to respect. Okay, community. then you don't have to say anything because we've talked about that show on this podcast before. Brent and I went to go see the LA performance, and we were baffled, uh, aghast, yeah. aghast by it. Are, I, is your favorite song the American Airlines? Oh, God. they're all the same. <laughs> they're all the same. I've never seen a show like this. Like probably most of our <laughs> listeners haven't seen it, so we won't get into the weeds on just come from away. But I have noticed we've been there in, in my <laughs> yeah. We've also been there several times. But I have noticed in all of my years of uh, with my uh, musical theater friends, especially in college, it is such 
a kind, a kind group of people. And it, I always just assumed that was like a veneer and that like deep down they're like comedians and they're really dark and like conniving and backstabbing. But it doesn't seem like over the years I've, I've discovered that at all from anyone who's in theater. I, I, am I right? Like what's, what's it like being Are you amongst asking this group? If the, if the theater community is, is kind? Yes. <clears throat> I mean, they're like any community. You, you, got, you got some goodies, you got some baddies. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there is a sense with the, because the theater community is relatively small and we're like, we really are like the weirdos who don't get paid a lot. So I think there is this sense of camaraderie that mm-hmm. we have, like in how we work and our work ethic yeah. and that we like to sing. I mean, I think yeah. there is something kind of innately beautiful and silly all at the same time and in, in, in what we do. You've also managed that's, to, some, that's something, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, was, You've also managed to, I don't know if I would say it's by design or not, but you've sort of managed to have a career <laughs> in the theater specifically that's been for lack of a better term cool like you've done like cool interesting shows you've done like unique roles i mean obviously i the significant other which was that the show you did years ago that was off broadway and then it was on broadway and it was sold out and it was like that was an incredibly i mean i'd never seen a show like that it was so uh it was just a just to give a quick summary it was about a uh 20-something guy in New York played by Gideon who basically watches all his girlfriends get married. And he's always the last, you know, it's like he's stag or he's just like the last one at the to, to it's just not happening because he's gay. And it was just such a moving role, but so interesting. And I don't know, if, again, I don't know if you would say it's by choice or by design, but you managed to sort of check off the list of doing like cool stuff. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know, well, I think it's a little bit of both, right? I think it is by this, you know, you, you, you can choose your projects, but then also like, I'm a very strange bird. So I think like it kind of, things kind of fall into place in, in a way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not very cookie cutter, um, but Significant Other was like, especially exciting because I, I, I had never seen anything like that yeah. and still happened. I mean, it really was, um, it was about gay loneliness yes. and gay alienation. And it was also very much of our, it was, it, it, felt like the way that we speak or that my friends spoke and I'd never really seen that in a play before um and it was just such a fun role to do I I, that was like that was I was having a blast I had to so years ago when we met when Elliot introduced us Gideon at that dinner I I don't know if I texted this to Elliot or I do remember distinctively I was late to the dinner and I was thinking it at the time that Elliot was friends with you just so he could text you about what to explain <laughs> musical theater to him and because in in the history of our friendship i am definitely the one between brent and elliot and i i'm the one who actually gets and enjoys musical theater and like <laughs> enjoys musicals and so hold on i, I, I hold wanted, on i, 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 no, no, like no. I do no, no does i not. enjoy he, i've like been to two. fiddler on the roof by the way i've been to fiddler on the roof <laughs> i i everyone's <laughs> been to fiddler I, on the roof. I i i enjoy i enjoy theater but I have a low tolerance for art for the artifice of music for when they're just. <laughs> I'm with you on yes, that. Yes, and that's where we that's where we see eye to eye. I enjoy theater. Well, but but like name a musical that 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 like for example, did you like Rent? Yes. Me? Oh, sorry. 
I love Rent more than Oh yeah, Rent, rent is, was ever. Oh, sorry, are you asking Elliot or me? <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, well, my question, what I was getting to was, Elliot, you're not really going to fight that you don't necessarily, you wouldn't say you're a musical theater fan. Right. Is what no, I, yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair assessment. Yes. yes. And, and so, Gideon, like, what do you think it is about, I mean, one of the things that I often like say is like, like, you know how the stereotype is like gay guys love musical theater. We didn't, that's not like a biological thing that just like gay men are prone to love musical theater. It's like a stereotype that we adopted as for strength over the years. So like, what do you think it is about musical theater that like queer people specifically respond to? Well, I mean, I, th I first of all, I think, I think musical theater, this is my end is, I, I mean, I just love, let's start with Nicole Kidman. I love great dames. And mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. I think musical theater has been embracing the dames since the, the dawn of musical theater. Angela and so Lansbury. We got Angela, we got Ethel, Elaine Stritch, Bernadette, yeah. Patty. I mean, all yeah. the details. Christine are, Ebersole. Oh, and, uh, and an anti, I think she was anti, a, uh, anti 9 11 truther, yes. <laughs> yeah, 9 11 truther, yeah, my yeah. favorite there video of, of her and Alex Jones. <laughs> Christine Ebersole and Alex Jones at a, at a 9 11 truther protest mm -hmm. in New York. It's brilliant. I, I honestly can't. Audra McDonald is not, a, she's not a 9 11 truther, but she's an icon. <laughs> she's an icon. <laughs> icon. And I think also style, I mean, I, I mean, look at Hello Dolly, right? Yes, is there anything gayer than that? And it's just like, Hello Dolly for me is not deep. I, I, I think some people can find it deep, but for me, it's not. It's really just a, just so fucking fun. Yeah. And it is, and it's stylish. And it's all about this like middle-aged broad. So mm -hmm. I feel like that for me is, it's pretty gay. I, I don't know. What about, yeah. so you were, you originated one of the roles in Spring Awakening. Was that yeah. your first big Broadway role? Yeah, that was my, my debut. Um, yeah. How was Leah yeah. Michelle? <laughs> We're a community and we only respect <laughs> each other. Um, yeah, so I, I, that's how I moved to New York. So I, I was, um, I was a senior in high school when I did that because we were all, we were all kiddies. Were you, were you, were you commuting between Philly and New York? So I, when we did an off-Broadway, I, I met Lee Michelle actually at um, uh, my audition and I, mm. I lived with her off-Broadway oh. and then um, and then we parted ways and on Broadway, I got uh, an apartment with my brother and I lived in the East Village. And oh, uh, nice. so in terms of doing that show, I mean, that sort of was like this, it had the same sort huge. of, yeah, it was huge. It had the same sort of, um, I, I guess, uh, uh, it was beloved in the same way that I feel like Rent was, that I feel mm -hmm. like even like Dear Evan Hansen was afterwards, sort of like a cult. Mm -hmm. you, it, it really connected with like young people in a way that most shows I don't think do. So was that was that uh, experience akin to like the rock star version of Broadway, especially as a young person, especially in a show that's where you were playing queer as well? Well, it's interesting. I think there's... Um because I was so young at the time, and I think there was this perception, there was this arrogance that I thought, of course it would be like this. I didn't really knew, I didn't really understand that it was an anomaly. So I think as I was experiencing it, I was like, yeah, of course this is it. Like we're, we're a major hit and it's fun and it's sexy and people love it. And I wasn't really comparing it to Rent or any, I was, I was kind of in the eye of it. So I was like, we're just, uh, we're just young and having fun and, and we're a hit. I mean, that, that for me was what it, what, how I 
saw it and I, I kind of thought every show was going to be that way until <laughs> later on when I realized it's not. Um, <laughs> so at the time, I don't think I really took in the kind of what what it was only only looking back. So that's interesting because that I did have a question about this because you you made a comment. You said uh, musical theater people, we like don't get paid a lot and we love to sing. And I had recently like researched and uh, I discovered that I guess I thought that musical theater was kind of like just act like actors on TV that they got paid disproportionately huge amounts so that when they got jobs, they could coast, they could get a job for a year. Because a lot of shows, as of course, you know better than I do, a lot of shows don't last for five, 10 years. And even if you're on a show, sometimes you're not on the cast the whole time. So is it hard to like go from jobs where you might not be able to bank a ton of money? I mean, is that like this existential stress at all times or how do you oh, manage yeah. that? I mean, I think it's why theater actors, like you can see really their age and their face. Yeah. Cause I think right. you, you, you're always juggling all these jobs and you're struggling. I know, I mean, I had good friends who were doing their Broadway show and keeping their office job at wow. the same time. I mean, oh my God. it depends on, I mean, it depends on the life you, you want in the city right. um, and how much you want to struggle and, and, and not. Um, mm -hmm. I would say like at the tier where you're in Audra, like I think when you do a Broadway show, you, it's, it can be pretty remunerative. But I yeah. think um, when you are, uh, you know, in the ensemble. And just an actor, yeah. So yeah. Just an a, a actor, Joe Schmo, like it's, mm -hmm. not, it's not like television. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think of TV as, as a place where I can make money. You yeah. were in recently one of my, not one of, probably, no, actually my favorite musical ever, Little Shop of Horrors, which is like the best. Like my, I mean, my, one of my favorites too. It doesn't get any better. That's, it actually that's one of my faves. Actually, that's one of my, just letting you know, that's one of my faves. <laughs> I like musical theater, perfect, that's my fave. <laughs> it's a perfect musical. There's like no fat on it. Yeah. It's like, it's also the best blend of like camp and heart. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and it is it's kind of, it's queer. I mean it's 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 queer and it's weird and it's rock. I love how it's weird about it is. Yeah. Plant. It's just it's phenomenal. I I I wanted to be in that show since I was a kid, and I hadn't mm -hmm. done a musical when I did Little Shop. I hadn't done a musical in nine years. I didn't. I thought I was kind of done with them, mm -hmm. and did, I really just wanted to do Little Shop. Did you the mm -hmm. version that you did um, was did they stick to the original ending or did they do the sort of the thing with the movie where they made it a happy ending. Oh, the original ending. I don't know if there's ever been a a, a theater version yeah. where they did the movie. Oh, ending. interesting. Yeah, because so yeah, because they what they did was they they tested that obviously when they were when they made the movie and people didn't like the the sad ending. Yeah, um, uh -huh. and so, also like I'll oh, go ahead. No, you go. I was just gonna say the one of the reasons why it is so like and there's a great documentary on Disney Plus about it. Sort of the the Howard Ashman of who was behind Little Shop of Horror, and that's how he got to do most of the music for the Disney films, like Little Mermaid, et cetera. But he was right. very, very much of that sort of like 80s camp queer sort of revival of Broadway, That, which is why the show, even though it doesn't really have a queer storyline, it is so it queer. It feels very John oh, Waters so to me. Yeah. Oh, I think it totally is. And he was actually kind of like anti-Broadway. It's in the mm -hmm. contract for Little Shop that it shouldn't, it, they did a Broadway revival, but he said, please never bring this to Broadway. It was at the mm. Orpheum Theater. It was at this really like, it was a, it was a small, small house. And he didn't, it wasn't meant for that. Huh. It's meant to be, 
it's meant to be like culty and small and yeah. and weirdly intimate for a sh- like a story about a, a man eating plant. My favorite my so favorite dumb. thing about that show too is in particular, and I'm curious uh, how they did the the plant, how they did Audrey in your show. But my favorite thing ab- I was, a, <laughs> it was me. My favorite <laughs> thing about you're amazing. What I love about the show is that from production to production, whether you're in high school, whether it's for little kids, whether it's Broadway, like you can interpret how to create this bizarre giant venus flytrap man eating plant and i do uh, i do um big brother big sister and there was a production here a couple summers ago and i brought my little brother to see it and they did a really a really interesting almost avant-garde thing where the plant was like five people and it was mm. sort of like they were five different parts of the plant in the darkness and the plant was all like neon and fluorescent uh, and it was oh. it was just incredible to watch because it was so different than the usual sort of you know plant in the pot kind Puppet. of thing. So yeah, I'm curious what was it, what was what did they do in the in the revival that you did? Well, it's funny because there's actually like um the 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 puppet if there's like a puppet family for Audrey twos that have been kind of been they you can you can there's one shop that actually does a lot of the high profile uh, productions. Oh, wow. And I know like the same people that worked on our puppet worked on the last Broadway revival and they were somewhat connected to the original one. Um, so it's like, it's a strange family mm. of, of, of puppet people. Um, which is, <laughs> I love puppet people. Um, Everyone loves puppets. <laughs> <laughs> but the puppet is so fun because sometimes you, you know, in the beginning I'm kind of operating it and I, I have no business operating a puppet. But you do it, right? You are Audrey. Yeah, and dancing too, which I also have no business doing. Wow. It, it was it was pretty mm. phenomenal. But then as he gets bigger, um, one person's in the puppet, and then two people are in the puppet, and then the puppet starts eating people. So you go in the puppet. It's um, wild. Oh my god, it's like a kid's dream come true. Mm. That is so fun. So good. I also Be more nightmare. More yeah. nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Not a nightmare, but sure. Even yeah. in talking, even <laughs> in talking about that, like I'm in, you know, I'm in awe of you and any theater actor, I, the, the, it seems so exhausting. I guess I don't know how you guys can all commit to doing exhausting work, whether, whether it's like super dramatic, whether it's super physical or not. It's like, how do you commit yourself to doing that so much every night? And you have to like, yeah. can you phone? The only time I remember anybody quote unquote phoning it in was when Rosie O'Donnell would talk about being in Greece and she, I remember her saying on her TV show, like, at some point, I, I just... Everything about Broadway comes back to Rosie O'Donnell for us. What's wrong with us? Well, it does for me, too. <laughs> I, used to, I used to think sick when, when Rosie had, like, somebody interesting on her show so I could watch her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is, mm-hmm. like, she is my, like, my, my life force. Yeah, I mean, she, yeah. I mean, that, I don't, I don't, I think that's very true. And I, but I, I just was saying, I remember her saying, uh, that when she did Greece, she was like, I would think about my laundry list in my head. Like she was like busy thinking about like what, like grocery shopping. <laughs> but you look at, you know, just, I'm curious. But I bet, I bet in the audience, you wouldn't. Probably you would never, never know. know yeah. That. yeah. That's the thing. You do it so much that like, first of all, it's, not, it's impossible not to at times. I mean, yeah. you know, you always want to task yourself with being present and being in the moment. But if you're doing, I mean, with Mockingbird, I, that was, I'd never done a show for a whole year. And it's eight shows a week. Oh I mean, we God. did the show hundreds. An of emotional years. show, yeah. too. And long, too. I mean, it was three hours long. So, like, you are going to check the fuck out. I mean, there are mm-hmm. moments. And there are times, there are times, I mean, in, in that show, especially, like, I was kind of oscillating between, like, this 
like um, Truman Capote esque 30 year old and then this like 10 year old. And there are times where like, I, I just didn't want to do that. And you just have to do it. And so mm -hmm. like, you just have to get through it, yeah. which is part of the process. I mean, it's, it's almost like meditating. And yeah. Sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes it's just, Sometimes it's harrowing. <laughs> was there ever like a, a scary, weird moment where you like, you missed something or like you'd done it so many times that you were like, do I know this line? And then a million you percent. So that was the oh, first yeah. time that ever happened to me was in Mockingbird where I'd done it so much that weirdly like the, not the thrill, but the anxiety of doing it was kind of over. And so I think my brain had to punish myself and be like, wait, you're not anxious. How about this? Maybe you don't know the line you're about to say. Right. And yeah. so you're, you're saying your line and you're like, do I know this line? Cause your, your brain's not, you're not in fight and fight or flight anymore. So then your brain has to give you a really fucked up challenge. And so you're yeah. like, Oh, do I know this line? And if you're saying that in the middle of your line, you're not going to know your line. That's so and scary. Especially yeah. in Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Oh my God. It was awful. We have to talk really fast too. Cause all of his stuff, yeah, everyone talks so, fucking so fast. fast. Mm -hmm. I do have, I do have, I'm probably our last question, but it's like, a very important question about both checking out and Rosie O'Donnell. And I think probably <laughs> the the biggest checkout, the collective <coughs> checkout of Broadway, which I saw twice, was um, Rosie O'Donnell and Harvey Firestein <laughs> in Fiddler on the Roof. You, <laughs> with Leah you, Michelle. Yes, with Leah Michelle. Did you Full see circle. that? Um, yes, because my best friend Molly Ephraim was one of the daughters. Oh. You know how what there's like three main daughters and two. Um, what did I think of it? I was very young. So I think I was very excited to see my friend in Fiddler on the Roof. I also didn't grow up watching Fiddler on the Roof. Like, mm. Strangely, as like a gay yeah, hello. who loves musical theater. Hello, I know. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I thought I liked it, but I had nothing to compare. But let me ask you this. Mm. Was there, was the sexual chemistry between Harvey Firestein <laughs> and Rosie O'Donnell just off the wall? I mean, I went home and masturbated. <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. That was same. And that's same. my connection. I messed myself in the seat. Couldn't take it. Couldn't take. <laughs> it. Wait, wait. Before you go, I have one, one more question. Uh, and um, so, in my la my last like you know uh, uh, couple months in New York, I remember this thing. People started talking about Mark Fisher Fitness. This this like gym, mm. and wow. I was you, you went there right. I okay, did, so yeah. is this still happening? Like, what the the? I feel yeah. like the Hell's Kitchen gay Mark Fisher Broadway actor scene is so. Uh, it's such a thing, and it and I don't. It's terrifying to me, and I wonder, like, you don't live in Hell's Kitchen, you know, but like, what is that? What do you ever step into that world of like the cast of Newsies all like fucking each other and going to the same <laughs> boutique gym, whatever, you know? Is that real? Well, the cast of Newsies was going to like Equinox. They weren't going oh, to Mark okay, Fisher. okay. Um, but uh, you know, the Mark Fisher world is it, it was it was trying to do gym and fitness for theater people who were not uh, fitness savvy. So they're trying to actually not market to the Newsies kids mm. who all have killer uh, bodies. They're trying yeah. to yeah. So it's like curves for Broadway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's very like, it's supposed to be very like welcoming and unicorns yes. and et cetera. I'll uh, say I, when I did it, it was great. I, my body got in shape. I never looked back. I never went back. I, yeah. I never, I, I, I got my fill, but I think it, if, if that's what you need, you should do it. Right. That's how, that's how I Not feel. Not me. I'm just, I'm just I curious. Know. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it's it's basically CrossFit, yeah. but with unicorns. Yeah, with unicorns and actors, yeah. Broadway actors. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do the voice. Um, well, Gideon, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, what a blast! Thanks for being here. So happy to talk about Broadway on this. Of course, us too. Are your viewers gonna be a little shocked? No, we've talked. We have talked about Come From Away a lot. A lot, a lot. To the point where I feel like listeners did it. I could feel inside of me the collective like, eye roll like, from come everyone on, guys. listening. Come on, everyone. we've heard about Come From Away like five times in the last year. It's like already. me talking about my cancer. It's like everyone's, we get it. Oh, we don't we like Come it. From Away. Oh, I'm sorry. You know. Giddy, where where can people find you online or on Instagram? Or- um, my Twitter and Instagram handle is at Giddglick. Mm. Well, thank Thanks, you so Gideon. much. Gideon. We really Thanks, appreciate it. Bye, guys. It was so good to see you all. And another thing. So there's a um, beautiful commercial <laughs> that we can play. A, we can play a, a clip of it uh, for our uh, bilingual listeners. Lo que me quieres decir es que me quieres como soy. It's only in Spanish. Even like the Google translation was shitty. I had to read the article about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was on, that's right on pinknews.co.uk, which is I only <laughs> only frequented by Elliot Glazer, I think, but yes. <laughs> But they play Doritos Mexico uh, made a commercial uh, that's called The Best Gift. Um, it's narrated by his father who reads a Reddit post uh, where he's asking for advice on letting his queer son know that he's loved and, ex- loved and accepted. Um, and it is just the most beautiful, touching commercial, specifically mm-hmm. if you're, you know, a, a queer person, because you'll just hopefully connect with the, the struggle. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just, oh, it was so touching. Yeah, did you, did you get emotional, Elliot, when you, yeah, when I definitely you watched did. it? Yeah, it was so emotional and, and uh, it was such a, who would have thought Doritos Mexico? Oh, I was very <laughs> proud. I have to admit, I was very proud. We are Doritos family. We love the spicy nacho Doritos. That is a big They're one. So At Taco Bell, good. the ta- the Doritos taco. Oh, Wait, ooh, are you uh, are you spicy not spicy nacho over Cool Ranch and regular nacho? Well, okay, I have to admit, before Michael, I was definitely a Cool Ranch girl when I'm on vacation. But at home, I'm an original girl. Like I'm original yeah. nacho cheese. Like because because the nacho cheese you can get in a large party size bag at Costco. Yeah. Just have you know what I mean? They don't yeah. have that for Cool Ranch or Spicy Nacho. But then yeah. when Michael came into my life, everything just became about Spicy Nacho because he loves Spicy Nacho, and I didn't give a fuck. So mm. that's what we have at home now. What about mm. you, Brent? It's really that's regular. Really t- cool Alan, Alan, that was really touching. <laughs> Thank that was you. A really touching story. Thank you. Uh, we, actually, when I get Doritos, I get Cool Ranch. Quite mm. frankly, I get Cool Ranch. I like to keep it simple with Doritos. I find that their newfangled flavors are never as good as. Uh, as like just the old Cool Ranch was a newfangled flavor, though. At one point, I I suppose uh, yeah, that is true. No, but within the past twenty years, I I don't think Cool Ranch has been around for that long. It has. I remember it I being remember introduced it as a kid. I remember being introduced as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, I like nacho, but that's I guess I'm basic. I like regular. <laughs> but oh, anyway, uh, the other, there was another commercial because you wanted to know. Elliot, I was curious. If we ever yeah, cry during what commercials, commercials make you cry? 
I, so this year, or yeah, I guess last 20, the Super Bowl 2020, I ended up leaving like halfway through because I went to an, from a party to a friend's house and I'm a busy guy. What can I say? And I missed a Google commercial that, sh- that aired that I saw on social media the next day. And it literally made me openly weep. It yeah. was so emotional, but that I'm so glad that didn't come on when I was at the, the football party. <laughs> my friend's Super Bowl party because I literally would have had to like rush into the bath bathroom. Yeah, and I would have come out with like red eyes. Did Google you see that's done? Yeah, Google's done some real um, tear jerkers. Some real tear jerkers for sure. Yeah. And, and remember the one where it was like a man. It was like about an, an a long romance between a man and his wife or something, and she passed away. Well, no, I, that's called Up. I think that's a Pixar. Right. No, I'm pretty sure yeah. there's a Google commercial, and it was so. But I was going to say, for me personally, any commercial, oh, the commercial, like dog food commercials, mm. where the owner has been away from their dog for a yeah. long time. Literally any I'm animal out. commercial, I'm gone. Also, oh, I, I will say during COVID, like during COVID, when they started introducing commercials of people being <gasps> distant and having like yes. the video stuff. That's I, been getting me. I will cry no matter what. I will always cry. If there's a distance thing and someone not being able to be together with someone they love, oh, girl, <clears throat> oh, no, I am bring over the tissues in, in all honesty michael's like, giving us a look like you guys are pussies no there was there was a i literally can't talk about it because i'll get him there was like a, a a covid commercial about like a grandma who couldn't see her grandkid and i was like yeah i like lost it yeah, <laughs> I, one day honestly like that's the part of me where i'm like if these commercials make me cry why aren't they showing this footage more often in some capacity to everyone to like get them to because these commercials i don't know how they do it but they're so good at manipulating your emotions and it's like if they if they put it on the news or something or they just made it more (laughs) visible to the public like the vietnam was in the 70s at like Mm. on nightly newscasts maybe people would be more cautious about it maybe they'd take it more seriously but yeah, who, do, what, who am I? I? I watch a Doritos commercial and, I, <laughs> and you ball. ball. Right. Michael, ball. Michael's saying something about the Kardashians commercial. What are you saying, Michael? Oh, I'll oh, pass wow. on that. Yeah, he's, and Brent says he's going to pass on it, um, but it's the one where Chris is crying in the closet. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Does that make him cry? But it makes Michael cry, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, it makes me cry. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Michael just remembered a commercial that I started crying at. So at the beginning of COVID, there was a preview of the, because I mean, we are kind of, I am a Kardashian fan. And there was a, there was a bit at where Chris is crying in the closet because she can't see her kids. She can't see <laughs> them. And I started to cry during the wow. preview. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, that's Boy. so insane. That's actually insane. <laughs> <laughs> What would would your your aunt aunt say? What would your aunt Ramona say about something she heard on today's podcast? I thought dental jams were for lesbians. (laughs) My aunt Joanne would say, you're telling me Gideon Glick didn't see Fiddler on the roof as a kid. He's excommunicated. (laughs) (laughs) How about Aunt Anne? My Aunt Anne would say, I cry every time I see a KFC commercial because it's just, <laughs> they're not they're not appropriate for the Weight Watchers points. They're too many points and I want the KFC, but I can't have the KFC. Oh, I love Aunt Anne. It's 24 points for one I drumstick. love her more than Aunt Ramona, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I'm Elliot Glazer. I'm Brent Sullivan. And I'm H. Allen Scott. 